0: Part Two of the Prince by Niccolò Machiavelli, translated by W. K. Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Clive Catterall. Chapters Four to Six. Chapter Four: Why the Kingdom of Darius, Conquered by Alexander, Did Not Rebel Against the Successors of Alexander at His Death. Considering the difficulties which men have had to hold to a newly acquired state, some might wonder how, seeing that Alexander the Great became the master of Asia in a few years, and died whilst it was scarcely settled, whence it might appear reasonable that the whole empire would have rebelled, nevertheless his successors maintained themselves, and had to meet no other difficulty than that which arose among themselves from their own ambitions. I answer, that the principalities of which one has record are found to be governed in two different ways, either by a prince with a body of servants, who assist him to govern the kingdom as ministers by his favour and permission, or by a prince and barons, who hold that dignity by antiquity of blood, and not by the grace of the prince. Such barons have states and their own subjects, who recognise them as lords, and hold them in natural affection." Those states that are governed by a prince and his servants, hold their prince in more consideration, because in all the country there is no one who is recognized as superior to him, and if they yield obedience to another, they do it as to a minister and official, and they do not bear him any particular affection. The examples of these two governments in our time are the Turk and the King of France the entire monarchy of the Turk is governed by one lord, the others are his servants, and dividing his kingdom into sanjaks, he sends there different administrators, and shifts and changes them as he chooses. But the king of France is placed in the midst of an ancient body of lords, acknowledged by their own subjects, and beloved by them. They have their own prerogatives, nor can the king take these away, except at his peril. Therefore, He who considers both of these states will recognize great difficulties in seizing the states of the Turk, but, once it is conquered, great ease in holding it. The causes of the difficulties in seizing the kingdom of the Turk are that the usurper cannot be called in by the princes of the kingdom, nor can he hope to be assisted in his designs by the revolt of those whom the Lord has around him. This arises from the reasons given above. For his ministers, being all slaves and bondmen, can only be corrupted with great difficulty. And one can expect little advantage from them when they have been corrupted, as they cannot carry the people with them, for the reasons assigned. Hence, he who attacks the Turk must bear in mind that he will find him united, and he will have to rely more on his own strength than on the revolt of others. But if once the Turk has been conquered and routed in the field in such a way that he cannot replace his armies, There is nothing to fear but the family of this prince, and this being exterminated, there remains no one to fear, the others having no credit with the people, and as the conqueror did not rely on them before his victory, so he ought not to fear them after it. The contrary happens in kingdoms governed like that of France, because one can easily enter there by gaining over some baron of the kingdom, for one always finds malcontents, and such as desire a change such men for the reasons given can open the way into the state and render the victory easy but if you wish to hold it afterwards you meet with infinite difficulties both from those who have assisted you and from those you have crushed nor is it enough for you to have exterminated the family of the prince because the lords that remain make themselves the heads of fresh movements against you and as you are unable either to satisfy or exterminate them That state is lost whenever time brings the opportunity. Now if you will consider what was the nature of the government of Darius, you will find it similar to the kingdom of the Turk. And therefore it was only necessary for Alexander first to overthrow him in the field, and then to take the country from him. After which victory, Darius being killed, the states remained secure to Alexander for the above reasons and if his successors had been united, they would have enjoyed it securely and at their ease, for there were no tumults raised in the kingdom except those they provoked themselves. But it is impossible to hold with such tranquillity states constituted like that of France. Hence arose those frequent rebellions against the Romans in Spain, France, and Greece, owing to the many principalities there were in these states, of which, as long as the memory of them endured, the Romans always held an insecure possession but with the power and long continuance of the empire, the memory of them passed away, and the Romans then became secure possessors. And when fighting afterwards amongst themselves, each one was able to attach to himself his own parts of the country according to the authority he had assumed there, and the family of the former lord being exterminated, none other than the Romans were acknowledged. When these things are remembered, No one will marvel at the ease with which Alexander held the Empire of Asia, or at the difficulties which others have had to keep an acquisition, such as Pyrrhus, and many more. This is not occasioned by the little or abundance of ability in the conqueror, but by the want of uniformity in the subject-state. Chapter 5. Concerning the way to govern cities or principalities which lived under their own laws before they were annexed. Whenever those states which have been acquired as stated have been accustomed to live under their own laws and in freedom, there are three courses for those who wish to hold them. The first is to ruin them. The next is to reside there in person. The third is to permit them to live under their own laws, drawing a tribute, and establishing within it an oligarchy which will keep it friendly to you. And because such a government, being created by the Prince, knows that it cannot stand without his friendship and interest, and does its utmost to support him. And therefore, he who would keep a city accustomed to freedom, will hold it more easily by the means of its own citizens than in any other way. There are, for example, the Spartans and the Romans. The Spartans held Athens and Thebes, establishing there an oligarchy. Nevertheless, they lost them. The Romans— in order to hold Capua, Carthage, and Numantia, dismantled them, and did not lose them. They wished to hold Greece, as the Spartans held it, making it free and permitting its laws, and did not succeed. So, to hold it, they were compelled to dismantle many cities in the country, for in truth there is no safe way to retain them otherwise than by ruining them. And he who becomes master of a city accustomed to freedom, and does not destroy it, may expect to be destroyed by it. For in rebellion it has always the watchword of liberty and its ancient privileges as a rallying point, which neither time nor benefits will ever cause it to forget. And whatever you may do or provide against, they never forget that name or their privileges, unless they are disunited or dispersed. But at every chance they immediately rally to them, as Pisa, after the hundred years she had been held in bondage by the Florentines, But when cities or countries are accustomed to live under a prince, and his family is exterminated, they, being on the one hand accustomed to obey, and on the other hand not having the old prince, cannot agree in making one from amongst themselves, and they do not know how to govern themselves. For this reason they are very slow to take up arms, and a prince can gain them to himself, and secure them much more easily. But in republics there is more vitality, greater hatred and more desire for vengeance, which will never permit them to allow the memory of their former liberty to rest, so that the safest way is to destroy them, or to reside there. CHAPTER six, CONCERNING NEW PRINCIPALITIES WHICH ARE REQUIRED BY ONE'S OWN ARMS AND ABILITY. Let no one be surprised if in speaking of entirely new principalities, as I shall do, I adduce the highest examples both of Prince and of State because men, walking almost always in paths beaten by others, and following by imitation their deeds, are yet unable to keep entirely to the ways of others, or attain to the power of those they imitate. A wise man ought always to follow the paths beaten by great men, and to imitate those who have been supreme. So that if his ability does not equal theirs, at least it will savour of it. Let him act like the clever archers who, designing to hit a mark which yet appears too far distant, and knowing the limits to which the strength of their bow attains, take aim much higher than the mark, not to reach by their strength or arrow to so great a height, but to be able, with the aid of so high an aim, to hit the mark they wish to reach. I say, therefore, that in entirely new principalities, where there is a new prince, more or less difficulty is found in keeping them, accordingly as there is more or less ability in him who has acquired the state. Now, as the fact of becoming a prince from a private station presupposes either ability or fortune, it is clear that one or other of these things will mitigate in some degree many difficulties. Nevertheless, he who has relied least on fortune is established the strongest. Further, it facilitates matters when the prince, having no other state, is compelled to reside there in person. But to come to those who, by their own ability, and not through fortune, have risen to be princes, I say that Moses, Cyrus, Romulus, Theseus, and such like, are the most excellent examples. And although one may not discuss Moses, he having been a mere executor of the will of God, yet he ought to be admired, if only for that favour which made him worthy to speak with God. But in considering Cyrus and others, who have acquired or founded kingdoms, all will be found admirable and if their particular deeds and conduct shall be considered, they will not be found inferior to those of Moses, although he had so great a preceptor. And in examining their actions and lives one cannot see that they owed anything to fortune beyond opportunity, which brought them the material to mould into the form which seemed best to them. Without that opportunity their powers of mind would have been extinguished, and without those powers the opportunity would have come in vain. It was necessary, therefore, to Moses that he should find the people of Israel in Egypt enslaved and oppressed by the Egyptians, in order that they should be disposed to follow him, so as to be delivered out of bondage. It was necessary that Romulus should not remain in Alba, and that he should be abandoned at his birth, in order that he should become king of Rome and founder of the Fatherland. It was necessary that Cyrus should find the Persians discontented with the government of the Medes and the Medes soft and effeminate through their long peace. Theseus could not have shown his ability had he not found the Athenians dispersed. These opportunities, therefore, made those men fortunate, and their high ability enabled them to recognize the opportunity whereby their country was ennobled and made famous. Those who by valorous ways become princes like these men acquire a principality with difficulty, but they keep it with ease the difficulties they have in acquiring it rise in part from the new rules and methods which they are forced to introduce to establish their government and its security. And it ought to be remembered that there is nothing more difficult to take in hand, more perilous to conduct, or more uncertain in its success, than to take the lead in the introduction of a new order of things. Because the innovator has for enemies all those who have done well under the old conditions, and lukewarm defenders in those who may do well under the new, This coolness arises partly from fear of the opponents who have the laws on their side, and partly from the incredulity of men who do not readily believe in new things until they have had long experience of them. Thus it happens that whenever those who are hostile have the opportunity to attack, they do it like partisans, whilst the others defend lukewarmly, in such wise that the prince is endangered along with them. It is necessary, therefore, if we desire to discuss this matter thoroughly, to inquire whether these innovators can rely on themselves, or have to depend on others. That is to say, whether to consummate their enterprise, have they to use prayers, or can they use force? In the first instance they always succeed badly, and never compass anything, but when they can rely on themselves and use force, then they are rarely endangered. Hence it is that all armed prophets have conquered. And the unarmed ones have been destroyed. Besides the reasons mentioned, the nature of the people is variable, and whilst it is easy to persuade them, it is difficult to fix them in that persuasion, and thus it is necessary to take such measures that, when they believe no longer, it may be possible to make them believe by force. If Moses, Cyrus, Theseus, and Romulus had been unarmed, they could not have enforced their constitutions for long as happened in our time to fra girolamo savonarola who was ruined with his new order of things immediately the multitude believed in him no longer and he had no means of keeping steadfast those who believed or of making the unbelievers to believe and therefore such as these have great difficulties in consummating their enterprise for all their dangers are in the ascent yet with ability they will overcome them but when these are overcome and those who envied them their success are exterminated they will begin to be respected, and they will continue afterwards powerful, secure, honoured, and happy. To these great examples I wish to add a lesser one. Still, it bears some resemblance to them, and I wish it to suffice me for all of a like kind. It is Hero the Syracusan. This man rose from a private station to be Prince of Syracuse. Nor did he either owe anything to fortune but opportunity for the Syracusans, being oppressed, chose him for their captain. Afterwards he was rewarded by being made their prince. He was of so great ability, even as a private citizen, that one who writes of him says he wanted nothing but a kingdom to be a king. This man abolished the old soldiery, organized the new, gave up old alliances, made new ones, and as he had his own soldiers and allies, on such foundations he was able to build any edifice. Thus, whilst he had endured much trouble in acquiring, he had but little in keeping End of Part two.